All right. You're listening to Mount Hermeneutics, where three Marines give their perspective on God, faith, and spirituality with a heavy lean on the Divine Council worldview. Now, this is not your grandma's Sunday school and not necessarily for the Christian faint of heart. But you better believe that we're going to have takes and perhaps they won't even suck. Keep in mind that nothing about who we are or what we say makes us experts at all. Anyway, what's happening, fellas? Hey, guys. What's up, guys? Happy post-4th of July. Happy yeah, America sure. Day. How did, how, did, how, did, how did it go? How did, how did America Day go? Well, I had a great time. Uh, Michael Johnson and his wife came, visited, uh, had a surprise visit from uh, Sean. He popped in and then uh, had to bug out a little early, had some craziness going on at home. So had uh, a little part of the, the, the gang, the gang was here. Uh, it's it good. There's probably about, I don't know, 75 people. So Brian, you've been to one of these, you know, how, we got, we get a pretty yeah. big group. It was the biggest group we've had. Um, fireworks never disappoint. So I was going to go, but I'm between cars at the moment. So you got ran over. <laughs> he got, he got smushed <laughs> between, between cars in a different sense. Ah, I see. But, uh, yeah. I was without reliable transportation. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I How's yours? I uh, <clears throat> made a trek on Friday night to the Sequoias, and that's mm-hmm. on the east co- the east side of California, and they're just gigantic trees. And then. We spent the night out there, checked out some trees, saw some sights, and then drove all the way to the west coast, north of San Francisco, to the Redwoods. And then uh, spent a couple of days there on the coast, uh, went to Eureka and Crescent City, saw a big Paul Bunyan statue and some fun stuff there. And then, and then drove into Eugene, Oregon, where my son is going to compete that the next the next weekend uh, for the U.S. Outdoor Championships. Uh, but Fourth of July. We got rodeo tickets. So, so I went to the Eugene Rodeo, uh, the pro circuit. Only uh, only two dudes stayed on. Come on, man. And, uh, and then we had, you know, the, the Bronc Rider. One of the dudes got uh, straight up knocked out. Little A little scary moment laying there. Knocked the cowboy out of his boots. And he laid there motionless as if he, you know, went 30 seconds with Mike Tyson and it was a kind of a, kind of a scary moment. So maybe I think he, he could have answered some of our questions about the divine council. Possibly. He could have in fact, <laughs> down there and, and asking him uh, a cute moment during the fireworks, uh, little ceremony. One of the songs they played with them was the Marines hymn. So as you know, Marines up. And, uh, so there I am rocking my body at attention, singing at the top of my lungs, the Marines hymn. And the family behind me are like, are, are you a Marine? <laughs> yes, I am. Well, thank you for your service, son. I was in the Army. I'm like, oh, awesome. So he did like 30 years in the Army. Uh, his, his, his family, we, we had a chat and whatnot. And then kind of the ceremony's almost over. He's like, listen to more songs. He's like, I'm a little, I'm getting a little pissed off. They played your song and not mine. I was like, hey. eh, that's just kind of how it is. Yeah, I'm like, well, I mean, my song's better than yours. So. Right. I, I well, look we, better than you. Not like he would have stood up and sang his song, or he probably don't even know the words. <laughs> right. You know, we get all their hand-me-down gear. Right. So it's only fair that we get the, you know, we get cultural descendancy. They get all our hand-me-down women, so it's fine. Word. 
Hmm. Because the chicks dig us and the guys want to be us. <laughs> Shout out to That's Kurt what Thomas. the recruiter promised me. <laughs> Good old Kurt. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Kurt's still alive. Um, You're talking yes. about Staff Sergeant Conklin? Congleton. The Punisher? Congleton. Congleton, Congleton. Not Conklin. The, the Punisher. That's a that's a good title for him. I, I always thought he was a cross between uh, uh, Eddie, uh, uh, what's this guy, Billy Idol, and uh, something else. I Dolph Lundgren. It was something. It was some combination like, of those two. But yeah. he looked like Dolph Lundgren. He, he was Billy Idol and Gunny Highway, like combined together. <laughs> the same guy. He was, On his Harley with his tats. He was a trip. Yeah, he was. He was. He was certainly something else. Hope he is still alive and well. Hope uh, maybe this podcast will reach his uh, his. Uh, I'm sure if he has any hearing left from all of the Harley riding he's done, I'm sure he doesn't wear <laughs> ear protection. But uh, mm. yeah. So hey, we uh, Brian last session, which now is almost three weeks ago because we had so much life going on between here and there. Um, we ended on a. Whole, we we kind of got into a whole lot of stuff right at the end. It kind of got a little. Might have even got a little frantic. I know we were trying to wrap up a point. I'm not sure how we actually ended that, but uh, you brought up a couple of subtopics, and I wanted to poke on them. Not necessarily for, you know, a full session. Maybe it becomes a full session. I don't know. But I was watching this stupid Netflix special. I'm not even gonna deign to give the special any any run because I don't want it to. I don't want it to. Anybody go, I should go watch this also because you don't want to. But um, I know you're not talking about Ancient Apocalypse. I am not so. talk, talking about Ancient Apocalypse. <laughs> okay. I'm talking about this terrible drama um, that happened to be about Gobleki Tech. Uh, but you mentioned it uh, as kind of, uh, and you've mentioned it a couple of times in our chats that we have offline um, as well as on the show. And you just kind of made an allusion to it or a, a reference to it. And I didn't get a chance to dig into it mainly because I didn't want to because the show needed to. But now I'd like to kind of just want to ask you, you know, what the heck were you talking about? What What is it? Okay. That, so, I mean, I know, and if, I'm sure if anybody listening at home, right, like I have a, a functional idea of what it is. I know it's in Turkey um, and it's this, you know, ancient thing that was found that, and if I'm not mistaken, it's dated somewhere between nine and 12,000 years BC, um, which is pretty substantial in of itself, yeah. right? Um, but just, I didn't know if you had more to say about that or if that was, that was really it, or was there something that kind of tied um, that back around to any of our other conversations? Well, yeah, Goblucky Tepe. Uh, I mean, I, I would, I would recommend anybody who hasn't just go watch Ancient Apocalypse on uh, Netflix with Graham Hancock and it'll, it'll kind of give you the gist of it. I don't think he goes into the Rakat structure of, uh, of Mauritania, also known as the the Eye of the Sahara, but uh, between Gobleki Tepe, the Great Pyramid of Cholula, uh, that Step Pyramid in Indonesia, I forgot the name of it. There's an underground city in uh, in Turkey near Gobleki Tepe um, that all date to way earlier than what uh, anthropologists regard to be the beginning of civilization. All of this adds up to um, there being a, a an advanced human civilization long before we, we thought there was. And they all kind of have this, this similar lore surrounding them about uh, <clears throat> um, 
there being a great flood um, that wiped out all of humanity. Like, and ever this is all kind of basic knowledge that everybody knows. Every ancient culture has these stories about a, a flood myth that wiped out most of humanity. Typically, there's some human or group of humans who are righteous in some way, and they get advance warning, but but from from a god or the gods, and uh, managed to save humanity. But and then they kind of survived to restart civilization, and that uh, stuff like Gobleki Tepe, it's it's pretty new. It had been dis- and by the way, I'm not an expert in any of this. I'm not. I'm you know you're you're better off just watching watching the documentaries and listening to me, but the basics of it, the, the thing that interests me is how it, uh, first of all, I think it's it's adding up to eventually there being a, a huge paradigm shift for how we understand the human story, um, the, the, stor- the human history and the development of civilization. Like there was a civilization before what we understand to be the beginnings of civilization um, but, um, but also it, it ties in with what we, Gobleki Tepe, I think was discovered in the sixties, but it wasn't until the mid nineties that people start, that archeologists started to understand that this, this what predates, was right. Yeah. That it, it predates what anybody thought it was. And then it goes back to, and it, and these are huge monolithic structures that, that can't, that they can't be explained with hand tools or hunter gatherers. There had to have been uh, a large labor force. Um, there or, had to be or aliens. <laughs> there we go. I, yeah, I, I guess but... aliens might have been able to do it. I think might have. That, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know anything about aliens, so I don't know what their capabilities are. I can only assume if they exist, they would be able to do that. But if we. Uh, it all lines up pretty well with what we know from what we what we read in the book of Enoch and how it expands on the Genesis 6 event with the sons of God giving forbidden knowledge to humans. Um, and they apparently that they use this to uh, advance civilization beyond what we what we previously understood. And it, it all kind of lines up well. And uh, so let, let me get this straight. So we. We scoff at the fact that perhaps aliens were able to give this technology, but we're going to lend credence to watchers or some type of angels or divine beings that came down to help with this uh, the civilization building. Well, I, I, why are alien? Why is aliens more plausible than that? Oh, I, I don't think either's more. I think I don't. I don't think they are. I think I think they're the same same. Right. In fact, you could I mean, isn't an angel technically an alien? An otherworldly being, right? If you if you be clinical it's about what alien means, guess. right? It's like a non earthly right. yeah. thing. So but we, we wanna, But we tend to we tend to project we tend to whatever our cultural assumptions are, we tend to interpret things through that lens. So people see strange beings using unexplainable technology they think aliens um i think a, it could just as easily be uh nephilim I, I think i think part of that is at least i'll speak for myself right rather than try to put this on other people i don't think of angels and technology in the same terms right 
yeah, I, mean, I yeah. think of knowledge, but I don't think of knowledge as being technology. It's almost like we've created this natural word linkage with technology to mean sciencey stuff. And sciencey stuff can't be the same thing as biblical Supernatural. stuff. Right, because angels, well, demons, ghosts, alternate dimensions, that sounds like magic. But what technology... Magic, oh, I, I know. I was getting there, actually. I was, I was going to yeah. go that full yeah. circle, right? Because we think of technology as atoms and the periodic table and, you know, things you can touch and things you can prove through the scientific method specifically, right? You know, using the word in a, in a broader sense, you can use the scientific method to prove disprove. But then we tend, at least I tend to think of, uh, you know, anything that's non-terrestrial as being magic. Right? Like that's that thing. And magic is something that we can't prove. It's something that just is. Um, and I don't know if that's, I mean, maybe that's to the point that you were starting to make is that our paradigm shift is that we've, we've created two different things that aren't necessarily there. And really those two things are one thing. Maybe, well, if, maybe angels are aliens. If, you if, if, about, I, can, if I can interject there, I, th I think, I think that's a, a lot of things that turn people away from God altogether. Well, I have the ability to know and prove this thing, therefore it, it's real. God is magical, mythical storytelling from an ancient land that we have no connection to. And we've been able to reproduce all these things, but we can't with God when we're, we're unable to link, you know, science and God. They don't, they don't have to be, you know, exclusive. They, they well, can be one and the same. These categories that we that we have today of, of natural and then supernatural, they're completely unique to our to our age, to our to our to Western culture. If you if you look if you look at the, the development of science, especially the, the people who developed it, people like Isaac Newton, um, Francis Bacon, um, Isaac Newton was as much of a sorcerer as he was a scientist. He he spent more time, more he wrote more voluminously about alchemy than he did about physics. And a lot of his physics was in was in search of the alchemy solution, right? He was right. I mean, alchemy was the precursor to chemistry. Uh -huh. And I, I've been reading a lot about uh, John Dee lately, and I kind of I kind of. Uh, I think I might have mentioned him before, but he was Queen Elizabeth's, uh, basically her her court wizard. Um, he he came up with a lot of uh, a lot of the navigational technology that enabled the exploration of the New World. A lot of the the cartography that made it possible. Um, he came up with that, but he was his entire life's work was was devoted to uncovering the secrets of of the universe. And uh, just the concept of science as distinct from magic would have been totally alien to him. Um, he wasn't using the scientific method, but he was seeking the same answers. And eventually the scientific method developed out of, out of his work and those like him. But the, uh, the idea that uh, there's you know, natural versus supernatural, that's a completely new thing. And that the... Uh, 
they used to consider mathematics to be a form of magic. It is. To me, it still is. (laughs) Likewise. Well, in the Middle Ages, you could you could legit be burned as a sorcerer if you were too into math. If you were like they, you know, Newton and Leibniz hadn't developed calculus yet, but. John Dee had this entire uh, mathematical system he developed, and they're still trying to crack the code on it, whether it was... He was also a spy for Queen Elizabeth. Little known fact, um, he used to sign his uh, his correspond. The Protestant-Catholic wars were as much political. They were probably more political than religious, but there was, there was all kinds of spycraft and intrigue between nations, the, the divided between the camps of product of Catholic and Protestant, John Dee was kind of one of the uh, the pioneers of spycraft, and he worked for Queen Elizabeth, gathering intelligence, and he used to send her encrypted correspondence that he would sign 007, which is where really yeah is that where yeah. James Bond came from? Yeah, that's where Ian Fleming got that. Hmm. Um, what was but, that? Was, was is there any where did he come up with that? Do we know? There's a whole like system of numbers and, and uh, occult meaning to it that that John D assigned that I couldn't I couldn't begin to explain it. But that like all numbers have like mystical significance within oh, occult so, circles. So it was a numerology thing. Yeah, um, not not exact Hebrew gematria, but it, it's con- similar in concept. Not exact what? Hebrew gematria. <laughs> Hebrew gematria. What is that? Like, that's numero- Hebrew numerology. It's the specific kind of numerology that that was used in Judaism. Like in Matthew's gospel, a good example. Mm-hmm. Like when you read the genealogy, and it get, tells you fourteen generations from Abraham to David, mm-hmm. fourteen generations from David to the exile, fourteen generations from the exile to the Messiah. Well, the number fourteen is David's number because his letters. Daleth vow Daleth in Hebrew. Daleth is the fourth letter. Vow is the sixth letter, and then Daleth again adds up to fourteen. So the number fourteen is David's number. The point of it was this genealogy, and a genealogy was basically your ID back then. They didn't have state issued IDs with biometrics and photo photograph, so people used their genealogies to identify them. The point of it was, it, that's just one example of how gematria is a big deal in the Bible. But uh, anyway, we're kind of going off on a rabbit trail here. No, but, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's funny. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a really funny linkage to what you just said. So the shirt that I'm wearing, for everybody that can't see, is uh, it's a play on the Sons of Anarchy logo, but it says Sons of Popovich. And it's a reaper holding a basketball, and it says TX instead of MC on it. So I'm wearing this just because I'm super geeked out right now because of a big draft pick that the Spurs have landed. He's, he's showing out. We're having fun. Blah blah blah. I'm feeling really nauseous right now. Yeah, I know. I did it for you. <laughs> but there's but there's but there's a funny double linkage here, right? So in the motorcycle community, which I dabble in the very outskirts of, um, they're very big into this numerology that you were just doing. So the motorcycle clubs will use their letters. And they'll use the numbers. So like the Hells Angels are the seven one because it's the seventh letter in the first letter. Uh, number 13 relates to the M for motorcycle. So they use 13 a lot in 
numerology and patches and things they put on their vests. That's just kind of an interesting thing, but it's it's it was only relevant because of the shirt that I'm wearing relative to what you were talking about and the fact that that's still around, right? That people will use that as kind of just a simple way to identify in a way that's less overt to yeah. the commoner kind of thing. Cool. You're welcome. Like you're, 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 you're welcome, you're in, Trey. You're in the know. Yeah. yeah. I have a, I'm, a, I'm wearing a Batman shirt. I see that. There's no, I don't have any relevance to what I'm we're talking about. The, other than, other than you're, dark, you're dark and brooding and wish that you could go beat up bad guys and be, be independently wealthy? Wish I could beat up bad guys. I mean, <laughs> shh, shh, shh. on the, I mean, on the alter ego. I mean, we didn't want, we didn't want yeah. to call you out. <laughs> I do wish I was wealthy. So, so Brian, so when, when, a, when Ancient Apocalypse came out, Lots of uh, lots of articles and reviews just kind of trashed it, right? So, I mean, not only like biblical scholars and the Christians, but also just just scientists and archaeologists were mad. Was it because he's a journalist and not and not a guy that's that's submersed into into well, the, into the world that he's kind of dabbling in? I mean, I I think that journal. I mean, uh, ar- archaeologists are are down on him because he's kind of infringing on their territory and um but he's you know i don't agree with his conclusion that necessarily i don't know but um but the questions he raises i think they're worth asking and he and i haven't you know personally i haven't seen any satisfactory response to the you know they still A lot of archaeology, as as it's, it's been established, it happened at a time when, like, it, not only was it not married to the hard sciences, but it, it, they didn't exist. Like, they didn't have lidar and carbon fourteen dating when the timeline of human history was being written. And these are all kind of, uh, you know, these are kind of set in stone, and people base their base their careers on investing in them. And so somebody comes along and raises these questions, it, it's it's threatening to the status quo. And I think the same thing happens in in Christianity. Um, anytime there's a there's a big institutional commitment to a set of ideas, they die hard. And I think that's I think that's why. But um, you know, and you there's this saying um, among Christians along by that same note that if it if it's new in theology, it's wrong. Which mm-hmm. is which is technically true, but what they really mean is if it's if it's if it challenges the established institutions, then it's wrong. If it challenges what I've been taught, then it's wrong. But I mean, really, a lot all of this information was totally. I mean, it wasn't available to, to for the past two thousand years. I mean, the Book of Enoch was largely lost to the West until the late 19th, early 20th century. And even then, they did, the, the handful of people who knew, who, who had copies of it didn't know what to make of it until uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and they discovered in full intact copies of it. And then they started to realize the importance it had in the, uh, the early church. And that really should kind of revolutionize um, our understanding of Christianity, but you you know I when I was reading the Unseen Realm, something that really kind of kind of poked out to me was that you know he 
this is, this is a guy that's a doctor, right? So all of this information has pretty much always been available to him and people like him. <clears throat> so I think that a lot of people have read or or viewed or translated original text and have seen the stuff that he just put into the layman's book, The Unseen Realm, where three jamokes like us could just read it. And and, and I, I think it gives us a weird glimpse into this academic world that they kind of don't want us in. And I say they as in well, the so, academics. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great point because even when Heiser has gone into conversations with other academics, right, like if it wasn't for his PhD and the fact that he is a, a genuine subject matter expert on both A&E and linguistics, right? That Ancient Near Eastern culture. You think, mean. Thank you. I, I, yeah. I, I used a, 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 a jargon. A jargon there, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but the fact that he is as legitimately qualified as he is, people still take shots at him, right? And he does a great job right. of defending him. But so I think that, you know, juxtaposed with, Dre, your question about, uh, you know, the journalist, Graham, right? right? And they just bury him uh, because how dare you wade into this space over here and, and have an opinion about something that you're not, you know, you're not born into or you're not, you know, you're not washed enough to talk about, um, which is really interesting. I mean, for everybody listening, when we were kind of kicking the idea of doing this podcast around. Brian specifically was a little uh, reluctant at first, uh, based on the premise, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Brian, but you basically said the words, like, who are we? We're not qualified. We don't have degrees. We haven't been to seminary, all those kinds of things. And Dre and I both were like, that's the point. <laughs> like, that's, that's literally the point why we want to do this, because, you know, um, there's, all of, there's a ton of guys out there that are doing great podcasts that are that are qualified right i've been what's that guy's name dr ortland gavin ortland i've been watching him a lot lately love that guy on uh, truth unites um you know or gavin if you ever hear this we'd love to have you on um there's a ton of those guys cameron bertuzzi i mean there's a lot of people out sure. there that are qualified to have these conversations but the hope that we've had is that you know we, we go through these conversations on our own uh, we've been doing this for the better part of five, ten years in a chat meeting, just kind of kicking these ideas around. And, and I think that's, that's a big I think there have, there have to be a lot of people out in the ether, hopefully, who's, who's hearing our voices that are like, you know, we have, we'd like to have a, a more genuine conversation about things, but I don't want to go to take, you know, I can't take an eight-year sabbatical and go to, the, you know, the Holy Land and study and climb up on some mountain and bow for eight hours until they open the doors and let me in or I freeze and you know, die of frostbite or something. Um, and I did just cross two different reference points. I get, I realized there's no freezing mountaintops in the Holy Land. But Are you comparing point. Dr. Heiser to Batman? I was actually going more with like Kung Fu, but yeah, right, I mean, right. yeah. If, if the shoe fits. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I mean, even if, if somebody just hears a, a segment or, or even a line and they either one think yeah they don't know what they're talking about or two that dude's totally full of shit i want to i want to look it up myself maybe I'll, maybe i'll exercise my google fingers and find out and then i want to jump on comments 
and tell them how yeah. dead wrong they are. You know, because there's been lots of it, lots of conversations that we've had that I've Googled yeah. just because I was like, oh, you know what that? And there like, is, actually, Brian. <laughs> so, yeah. But there, there is. I don't know that academics don't want laymen getting involved, but I, there is kind of a barrier between academia and and the mainstream church. Um, they're, they're both, both sides are kind of uh, wary of each other. Like academics tend to be more secular minded. Um, they're not, they're, they're not, uh, it's not a ministry for them. It's not, they're not there to enlighten um, Christians and empower Christians for ministry. It's more about, you know, the study of their, in their, in their, their chosen field. And a lot of Christians just they're kind of uh, I think they're they're committed to dogma. They're they uh I, I think the one thing the one clarification I'd make is when I use academics, I'm re, I'm I'm including theologians in my version of, of academia. Right? Because yeah, because they've gone in advanced degrees in the study of specific theology directional, you know, things. Yeah. So to me, we are collectively not I mean you know, despite our, you know, assorted educational experiences, both experiential and, and uh, you know, uh, formal that we have amongst us, none of it is truly, quote, theolo- you know, we're not theologians. I didn't go to a Bible school. Brian, you didn't go to seminary, did you? No. Okay. Trey, no. I I'm sure. A couple, a couple classes. Right. I mean, I've studied, <laughs> yeah. you know, you take, a, you take a, you know, you take a flight. I was, by the way, guys, full disclosure. I have actually looked at uh, a couple of MA programs, a couple of master's programs um, with like a heavy, just partly because of this podcast, to be really honest. Um, I was thinking about doing a master's. I haven't done my master's and uh, I keep kind of gravitating towards an MBA just because in my my professional world, that's kind of what I do, right? I just don't want to. I can't get excited and motivated to take the courses. Uh, But I, I ran into an MA in philosophy with an emphasis in theology, I was like, oof, <laughs> oof. You, you know, fun fact, uh, when I was an E6, I, uh, I had dabbled and looked into becoming a Navy chaplain. Really? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I, I looked into it, and I, and, I, and I thought about it really, really hard, and, and ultimately it didn't happen. But, but yeah, I've always kind of leaned toward that way regardless. And, and even, even as I was looking to what my major was going to be when I was getting my degree late in life, uh, you know, theology was a thing that, that was kind of on the table for me. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, I, again, I, I decided not to, but, but I, but I keep leaning. So I, I, I might, I may just go back. I'm sure I regaled you both with the story of the time I almost went to seminary, right? I don't know that I remember. Oh, well, I was re- kind of re- in a... Re- regal again. Okay, well, I... <laughs> Can you re-regal? I'll I'll, re-regal? I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I was in like kind of a big like conflict with the, the leadership of my church at the time. That story you I, told us, yeah. Right, yeah, and I was, I was, through no fault of my own, I was leading the young adults group. Um, right. it, it came to the senior elders' attention that I was teaching something that conflicted with the church doctrinal statement. My method of teaching, though, was to just go through a book of the Bible, like just chapter by chapter, and discuss what's it mean. Um, none of it was ever, you have to agree with me or get out. It was just, 
I think it means this, and here are my reasons. And people were free to disagree, and they often did. But uh, anyway, it got it went up the chain that I had was I, I held an opinion that was contrary to the church doctrinal statement. And I'll spare you all the all the details, but uh, um, they had decreed it a certain way. I was I was protesting it and to kind of placate me they told me they would send me to seminary um but uh so would they, they could submerge you in their view <laughs> i think I, you're going to re-education camp well <laughs> what I, the Uyghur is going on here well maybe i need to tell more of the story but i i, I don't really want oh, this to is funnier this way. it's boring yeah okay it's boring this, this, but it's way funnier the, the, the here's the thing <laughs> To the whole thing, their their position was, well, look, you joined the when you joined the church, you signed this doctrinal statement saying that you agree with X, Y, and Z. And I said, well, no, I signed that with an asterisk, and I explained, and I, you know, I gave my qualifications and why about why I don't subscribe to that. You would, I would think they would be happy that somebody's giving it thought, and I'm I'm. That's, that, just, that you had a point of view and you weren't just you weren't just a limit, right. a limit that was ready to do whatever you were told. Right, but they just wanted me to kind of sign off on it. But I'm just like, oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to commit to that. But I, I, I preach it. I appreciate this church. I would like to be a member if you'll have me. And they're like, yeah, sure. And so I, so I joined, and I kept getting volunteered for teaching positions. So it's not like I was like demanding to be allowed to teach or I'm going to take my toys and go home. Brian, but, Brian's that, the, the freaking butler from uh, little Nikki. Every time they turned around, he was standing there. They're like, Oh my God. He's like, can I teach you? <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, so I don't know the reference, but uh, maybe I'll look it up. And it's the dude from transformers. It's uh, it's John okay. Turturro. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. So, okay. Well, so a lot of, a lot of movies. Uh, the, uh, I, I was trying to. I was trying to speak to Brian's. I was trying to oh. anticipate a movie that Brian would have surely watched that he would. That he would understand. No, I didn't. Because do probably. the right thing is probably not on his list. I think I've seen that. You, but, have, uh, yeah, you haven't seen the Transformers series. Oh, I've seen the Transformers. Yeah. The dude from the the government. Sector six. Yeah. That okay. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy. yeah, yeah. The point of this story was to join to join the church. You have to sign a doctrinal statement. Right. And then if and then if down the line it turns out you you had reservations about any given about any given point of doctrine, they say, well, aha, well, why do you why do you go to this church? Why don't you go to a church that agrees with you? Right. Well, there is no church that I agree with 100 percent. But then but then if you don't. If you don't comply, it's. They'll they'll entertain it to a point. Sure, no, I get it. It's it's their it's their it's their easy button. It's their they right. always hold that as a way to. Right. So but, so, that, but, so that begs a question. But it's kind of the same thing with seminary. When you join, when you go to a seminary, you have to sign a doctrinal statement, agreeing. Yeah. Do you really? Yeah, because I sent well, away. And, that's and, that's kind of stupid because. And, how could I know if I agree with what you teach because I don't know what you teach? That's why I'm going to seminary. Wait, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like saying I want to go to my local. So I'm in Oklahoma, for those that don't know. So like I said, I want to go to OU, and I want to go to your law school. And they say, well, first you have to say that you agree with how we teach law. Well, if I freaking knew how you taught law, well, but that's I wouldn't need to go to law school. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what question you were, you were going with, 
um, so I'm kind of curious what you were about to ask Brian with oh. uh, with what begs the question. Doctrinal statements. Kind of a, yeah. So yeah, so what, I have I have a couple too. of personal and second hand stories about doctor about having people sign documents. So just kind of a question for the group, broad question. How do y'all feel about churches that require you to sign something before you join to say I agree to do or not do? And I'm going to tell you why. So um, my brother, I'm going to tell a little story about him. He, uh, a long time ago, when we lived in Maryland, he was living, he was staying with us. And uh, we were going to this church, and he was going, and he was part of the youth, or the young men's, young people's group, or whatever. And he wanted to join. And they handed him a piece of paper to sign, and one of the things said that you have to swear that you won't drink alcohol. And How old is he? 20-ish. Um, the point isn't his age. The point is he had been around some of these people outside of church and knew them to drink alcohol. So it's like, one, I don't know that I, broadly speaking, not me, but I, I'll get to my personal opinion. But, you know, his point was, one, how, what do you mean I can't do something? Two, you do. You do, and you do. I seemed it. Right? Like, and so, like, so that's that's one example. Um, we left the church after I found out about that because I don't. I, I have a hard line personally with this, but I, I don't know. I, I just question the logic behind asking somebody to say if you're going to be a part of this body, you have to. You know, we're going to be litigious in how we're going to manage or control or. That's how cults work. Well, but I don't. I don't think that's. I don't have a problem with them having a standard of conduct that they that they expect you to live by, and and even a standard of beliefs that they that they expect that at least in a general sense. But if it's well, obviously, if they're not going to hold to it themselves, none of it means anything, and I wouldn't want to be a part of that group anyway. If it's just if because what 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 else does it mean anything to them that they that's that's uh-huh. defining them? But the issue at my church was uh, so basically. Uh, well, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the rest of the story because it's relevant to your question and to my answer to your question. Um, the uh, I was summoned to the, the the pastor's office to give an accounting of myself, and uh, yeah, that's I that's what I believe. I don't I don't subscribe to that portion of the doctrinal statement. Well, we we're gonna we need to we're gonna put the Bible study on hold until we figure this out, which meant it's gonna end forever, and we're just gonna relegate you to second class member status. And I so I I counter proposed. Well, instead of ensuring conformity by silencing dissent. How about you? You and the senior elder was the uh, the young adult Sunday school uh, teacher while I was doing the weekly Bible study. Um, <clears throat> I proposed, well, why don't you use Sunday morning time to to present the church's position, and then and then give me equal time when you're done to present the the biblical position actually, but I didn't I didn't word it that way. And he agreed to this. And meanwhile, I'll send you the notes for the Bible study every week so there are no surprises. And if you object to anything that I'm going to teach, you can you can come and say so. You can send a representative to, 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 to counter what I'm going to say. You can even give me a statement to read on your behalf. Don't listen to Brian. He's a heretic. And I, you have my word that I'll 
I'll, I'll do that. And so they agreed to this. And so he spent the next uh, like couple months just belaboring the church's position. I just needed one morning. And so when he was finished, I'm like, well, let me let me know when it's my turn and uh, I'll present I'll present my side. And then he then he reneged on it and said, well, we're not going to we're not going to open the, the door for false doctrine and, and and I, I protested this. Well, that's, you know, that, you know, you, you agreed to this and now you're reneging on it. And his, uh, his response was to invite me to lunch. Um, <clears throat> so I met him for lunch and that's when he, uh, he offered to, if I told me that if I went to go to seminary, I could, I could, the church would, uh, would financially support me through that. Um, but he's not gonna, He's not going to open the the. He's not going to give me a platform to teach false doctrine. Um, but in his, but his words were that if if I were to debate him or the pastor, I would, and I quote, run circles around him. And so that's why he's not going to do that because he doesn't he he didn't want to uh, give me the opportunity to to prove him wrong. And my response was, well, it's it's actually super easy to win a debate when you happen to be right. And, but, uh, but you know, if that's what you're going to do, I can't fight you on it. That's, that's, that's your prerogative. But I, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's dishonorable. I think it's, I think it, it discredits you. You should have, and, should have uh, challenged him to single combat in front of the church. Well, duel. that's basically what had been agreed to. Wizards duel. That's that's essentially what had been agreed to, which right. was just the debate. Yeah. But uh, so, so with, but that, then, with that story. Well, well, hold on. There's there's okay. a twist. There's a twist. But here. wait, there's more. There's more. And now you and know so the rest of the story. That the, <laughs> a rest the, of peace. The rest following of the following Sunday, he announced to everybody that I would no longer be teaching the the young adults Bible study. I wasn't there for this. I had a job where I had to work on Sunday, so I had to get get time off to, to even be there. Worked on Sunday, you sinner. Yeah, it's, it's well, a that's why story. that's why you can't teach the kids. You don't even keep the covenants, the, these, the these Ten were, Commandments. These were young, these were young adults, but uh, mm. but um, mm-hmm. so he announced, and basically none of this Heretic. was discussed. None of this was discussed. Right, he just, he just drops it on his own. Yeah. Right, and then he. Uh, Later on, when I found out and I confronted him about it, he said, well, that's what we talked about. And no, it wasn't. We would have had a comp- totally different discussion if that's what we talked about. But uh, but basically, so I resigned my membership, because which I, which I regret. I should have fought him on it. I should have made him kick me out instead of making it easy on him. But, uh, but to stay there on those terms would have been a tacit endorsement of of my own condemnation as a teacher of false doctrine. Not if you sat in the back and booed him all the time when he said things that you didn't agree with. And just stand up with it and just listen to me, children in the fifth pew. <laughs> <laughs> Be but, like Joe uh, Pesci. Everything that that guy just said is bullshit. <laughs> I got no more use for this guy. Drugs? No, I'm not on drugs. So, my issue was, it's, it, I mean, it's it's not that a church has to agree with me on every point. It's just that if they're gonna if they're gonna relegate you to second class member status, yeah. I mean, and and by the way, like I never 
demanded to teach, I kept getting volunteered for it. They like they were recognizing, hey, that's what he that's his spiritual gift. That's what he should be doing. Sure. But we're not going to let him do that if he doesn't agree with us on every point. That's that's. I I can I can say that I've never signed any kind of creed or really even subscribed to one because. Well, I, I think one, because I've never actually been a formal member of any church, <laughs> because I've just been married to a lady that's that's a member, and I like an honorary member that goes and does activities and, and does things. Well, what about your child? Uh, what, about your, I was say, what about your childhood? What about your So, as a Jehovah's yeah. Witness, there I don't think there was a creed. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think you have to abide by any of those things until you're actually baptized. And to them, you can't be baptized until you're an adult because it's a long process. So getting baptized with the J-dubs is, uh, you know, you, you have to go through a long cycle, and then there's so many hours that you have to like, like, pioneer. Like, a, conf- like then, a confirmation for the Catholics kind of deal? Correct. So most, mostly there's no children being baptized at all with the J-dubs. It's all, it's all very age-accountable adults because they've performed all of these tasks. So I imagine my mother probably had to sign something. If, if, if she didn't sign something, she lived by whatever creed because she completed all these hours of training to to be to rate to be baptized. Right. So and I, and I know she was kind of stressed out about it too because she had to, I think she had to take a test and stuff. My mother's not, oh, really? not good at good at good at testing. And I don't know if it's the same today. This was 1980 five right so i i was too young to really comprehend exactly what was going on sure. um you, you you remember uh, mom being stressed doing a bunch of church stuff. yes correct yeah, yeah. correct and, and I, the and thing I is this, and i remember my dad wasn't doing it <laughs> he was just like nah you're good, nah. You're good man you got it <laughs> i ain't doing that <laughs> <laughs> my man but uh and the, but the the problem like the thing is you invest that much in joining the organization um you don't want to lose your investment down the line by dissenting because you've already yeah but that's again go ahead i want to ask you because if you read the criticisms of the unseen realm so people that like you know have their have their uh their anti-take to dr heiser one of the things that they say is that uh, the Dr. Heiser kind of pits creeds against biblical writings, right? So, and 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 then and then the guy that I was reading, I think the other day, his his criticism was like, yeah, so do anti-trinitarians, so do Arians, so do all these crazy. I'm, I'm not sure I follow your meaning. I, I think uh, I do. It's, so it's actually. It's, I, let me ask this, let me ask a clarifying question here. This is actually a topic I was just reading about. So the concept of creeds having relevance, if I'm not, if I read, if I understand this well, it's the difference between prima scriptura versus sola scriptura thinking, and that you know it has to be Bible only or Bible first with other things that come along with it. And I think that's sure. basically uh, to be to, to be even more simple is how much Heiser leans on things like Enoch for some of his. Outside, because he talks about how there's sure. there's the, the a verse, there's the chapter, there's the whole uh, the whole book. Then there's all of the other writings by the same author. Then there's other writings at the time, and then there's the behavior that right. was going on in that world at that time. There was the way that everybody saw the world, and you have to have that entire view with all of the nested concentric circles, like a little Russian doll, right? The the 
every everything matters. You can't just take something and go, this is what it means. He's like, really? Because I'm pretty sure if you consider this, 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 and this, right, there's 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 a bigger there's a bigger thing to understand. And really, if you listen to the early Naked Bible podcasts, his whole series on baptism, what he did was he took different creeds as it came to baptism and he broke them all down and, and discussed why he believed that that wasn't correct. So okay. creeds were kind of a, were kind of a, were kind of a big deal. But then you said something interesting, I think yesterday, Brian, where um, in our, in our group text, mm-hmm. where you believed that the unseen realm or, or the, or the DCW divine council worldview as the whole, Dr. Heiser sees it as an addition to Christianity or mainstream Christianity, right. where you believe that perhaps it's an alternative to what Christians believe. And, and, yeah. and I, I, that, that what you said there was uh, uh, interesting to me. And I'd like to get your, your take on that thought. I'm itching to answer that, as you know. Um, but just like one last point about the doctrinal statements, like sure. to, just to answer Matt's question. Um, I don't have a problem with doctrinal statements, um, but I think they should always be, I think they should be provisional. They shouldn't be like absolute. Uh, they shouldn't be gateways. The way that they the work. The point? Well, they, they basically filter people out who don't already think that. And then once you're in, if you, if you defer from it, if you, if you depart from it at all, well, then they, well, you don't, you don't belong here. You should go somewhere else where they believe what you believe. Um, if you're a, if if you're a member in good standing and you know somebody is a genuine Christian, um, it sh- it should always be open to revision. There should and it, you sh- I don't think you should be able to just kick people out without some kind of due process. Well, that's so that's the point that I'm um, trying to get at is I I so I grew up Southern Baptist <clears throat> and the Southern Baptist Convention you have a letter of membership right and it happens when you're saved right so when you're when you when you in the way the Southern Baptists do, and you're either at church camp or you're in church, and you get up during the invitation, and you go up and you tell somebody, hey, you know, something's speaking to me right now. I need to talk to somebody. They take you off. You pray. They start explaining things to you, the Roman road, teach you things to think about, blah, blah, blah. You do all these things. And then after that, you sit with the pastor, a pastor, not necessarily the pastor. You pray. You talk about, you know, what you believe, how you believe it, why you believe it. Then basically they go, hey, you know, you're saved. You get it. This thing has happened. And then they schedule a baptism. And the baptism is just a public profession of faith that has nothing to do with your salvation. It's something to do to be faithful because Jesus did it. Jesus said to go do it, et cetera, et cetera. That's, I'm, I'm super high level in the Southern Baptist concept, but anybody disagrees, let me know where I got that wrong. Once you do all of that, they put a letter on file that simply says, Matt was saved on this day, baptized on this day, joined the church. He has to join the church. The church accepted him. He's part of the church. Then you move and you go to a different state and you find a Southern Baptist church. And you, when the little offering plate comes by, you put your thing in that says, I want to join the church. And then they simply go, where, do you, where were you a member? And you tell them at church in my old town. And then they call them and go, hey, do you have a letter on Matt Moore? They go, yeah. They go, send it to us. And they send the letter. And now you're a member of that church. And that's how Southern Baptists work. And so it's not a... There's nothing more to it. It's not like you don't sign, like I don't sign a mortgage document and say I'll do all these things or won't do these things. 
you're just part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and you, you move your letter from church to church, right? Um, my current yeah, but... church, there is no such thing. There's no membership. You just come. And there's no process, which means there's no process to unmember, right? <laughs> you just right, right. You just show up. And, and I like it better. It feels more like, you know, I don't want to be too flip with this, but it feels more Christ-like. You know, where two people join, you know, where two people gather, you know, I'm there. Like why why all this why all this litigiousness? To me, it's a Jewish holdover, right? Because every everything was so legalistic, right? In in in, in the in the old days in the old world. Um, anyway, I'm I'm, well, I'm starting to ramble, but that's that's kind of my take. Is I just I'm not a fan of it because it becomes it becomes well. I said you have to believe these four things and do these two things, and if you don't, you know, wear black shoes on this Sunday and blah blah blah. You can't well, I think you're, I think you're overstating it, though. I mean, I think you, I do think there's a problem with like so many so many different things are called Christian that aren't. Um, that I I do think there should be some uniformity of of, of beliefs that define you, but it sh- but it shouldn't be, you know, it should be provisional. It should be open to revision. Um, but. Um, so I don't. I mean, I don't have a problem with membership as a concept. I have a problem with doctrinal statements. If your doctrine is true, you should be able to, you should be able to 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 persuade people of it um, once they get in. It shouldn't be a matter of screening out people who don't already think like you do, and then calling foul if they if they change their thinking or learn new things or signed on with with qualifications. I guess I guess that I guess we're kind of saying the same thing. I think Dre, you started to either interject yeah, or I, disagree. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, honestly, personally, any kind of creed, anything that I have to kind of swear an oath to, has been a deterrent for me joining any church at all. Uh, you know, over over my lifetime. Um, and I, but but then but then I think I'm like, no, I get it, right? Like you can't. You can't have a, a set of beliefs in your organization and then have somebody challenge those beliefs and have it. I mean, your doctor should be strong enough that it should be able to withstand scrutiny. But at the same time, like you just can't have people just having the ability or the gift of tongue like Brian has. Maybe maybe so. Maybe you can debate in circles. It doesn't necessarily make you right. Right. It just means right. you're better at, at arguing. arguing. Yeah, for There's sure. a lot of lawyers that win cases because they were better, not because their guy was guilty or not guilty. So, well, so you can, so you can see the, you can see the challenge or the, or the fear that a guy like you who comes across as knowing his stuff so much so that they would even assign you to teach youth. And then the youth following you like the Pied Piper of R and B R Kelly and going and doing, going these, and doing wild, wild stuff, right. And joining these, some kind of Brian Irvin cult. These were young adults. So. The, that makes me think about about that does make a difference. Well, that does that does make a difference though. These are adults that I'm that we're talking about. These weren't children. Um, yeah, but they're still members of a church. So if you start persuading young adults to move away or to not, you know, agree with the creed that's at that member, then why are they members? Well, but that's not what I was doing though. He don't know that. 
and he wanted to cut that off before. Not that I'm defending this guy. I'm just saying I, I could see an alternate view or an alternate universe where he could have handled it different, but also, like, you know, this guy's, this guy's dangerous. Well, but the thing is, it, it wasn't that I was... I was completely transparent. It wasn't that I was you know, whispering in people's ears and trying to lead them astray. This was right. all out in the open, and this was all... Let me present my side. Let people decide for themselves. And anything that I'm wrong about, you guys, you guys are trained theologians. You can, you can point out where I'm wrong if I'm wrong. But if I'm not wrong, why are you trying to correct me? Um, shouldn't, shouldn't you be changing the doctrinal statement if you can't refute me in debate? But uh, sure, sure. I won't. I won't disagree with that. And and I wasn't even asking for that. I wasn't even say, demanding you have to change the doctrinal statement. It was it was just, you know, don't interfere with me doing what you have, what you want me to do as a ministry. I mean, honestly, I think that you sending him notes before in class should have been more been than enough. enough. Absolutely. Right. Like, and then if he wanted to red pen <laughs> some of the things that you were about to teach, then fine. Right. And then that's up to you and your integrity whether you want to teach it that way or not. Uh-huh. But. But I think that that should have been the end of the discussion. Hey, you're a gifted teacher. Can you please send us a lesson plan? We don't want you leading young men astray. All stop. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know why it had to be a, a thing that's really weird. Well, I, I, yeah. But uh, anyway, so that was that story. But uh, yeah. you you asked the question, so, and I kind so, of uh, so so here's a point of order, guys. <laughs> We're at an hour and a half. Do we want to hold that question? Because something tells me that that's not going to be a four-minute response and a ten-minute wrap-up. Maybe I could give you the Reader's Digest, and it could be a setup for next week. Let's do that. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. A um, little little teaser for the next one. But, yeah, uh, Michael Heiser, I uh, just – in the interest of full transparency, I, I revere the man. I'm not saying any of this to disparage him, but I, I, I fundamentally disagree with him on a few things. He largely saw the divine council worldview as an add-on to mainstream popular Christianity. I think it's a, it's a replacement. I think it's a, it's an alternative to it. Um, this, if you if you ask your garden variety Christian uh, what it's about, and it, it's about if you if you accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, you go to heaven instead of hell as a disembodied spirit or soul when you die. Um, I don't. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, it just it doesn't it doesn't teach that. There's if you already have that idea that that's what the Bible's about. There is no shortage of passages that that will validate that if if you bring that idea with you, but they don't actually say that in and of themselves. You're doing eisegesis when you do that, not exegesis. Eisegesis is where you project the meaning onto the text, as opposed to exegesis where you get the meaning out from the text. Um, <clears throat> but it, instead, it's about physical bodily resurrection to eternal life in this world when Jesus returns, at which point believers will replace the, the, the old gods on the divine council and ruling over this world. Um, we basically become the new gods, the, not uh, gods in, in the sense that we're worshipped, that we're, we're uh, 
we have you know religions attached to us, but gods in the sense that we we become supernatural beings who who rule creation as God originally intended. Um, I I think that's a completely different paradigm for a completely different biblical narrative than what we typically understand it to be about. And it it, it uh, so so let me let me poke on that for a quick second. Okay. Last part of what you said. Where's the biblical basis for that? Because I'm with you. I, we, we, the three of us, I think, collectively agree on the Edenic return versus angel wings and going to heaven, right? But what I heard you say right there at the end was essentially humans becoming Elohim. Well, I wouldn't say humans become Elohim, but we become. You said supernatural. I mean, if we're going to simplify Elohim, that's what it means, right? When you look at how sons of God is used in the Old Testament, it's it's referring to beings we would call angels now. Uh, Genesis 6 being the the most, the clearest part. And then Psalm 82, I said you were gods, all sons of the Most High. Mm -hmm. Um, Then in the New Testament, um, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. It's talking about believers, talking about us. To me, that's still talking about. It's still talking about the Elohim. Well, do you know so the passage? The exact same, it's the exact same language. No, I don't. It, it, the passage is irrelevant to me because the words are the exact same as the words we were using in the Old Testament that we that we understand to mean Elohim slash angels. Right. Let me bring up the passage here. It's in Romans eight. Bear with me for just a second. Our present sufferings, or this is Romans 8, uh, starting uh, with verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's talking about us. Um and it accords with all the other passages, like in um, John's Gospel, where it says, uh, you know, anyone who believes in his name becomes a child of God. Um, that's, and, you know, again, that's all the whole point of Romans, where Paul talks about our, our adoption as sons. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, because Christ has been, when... Uh, in Matthew 28, before he ascended, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Because the Son of Man has, been, has come into the presence of the Ancient of Days and been given authority, glory, sovereign power. Um, Paul says that we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Our, I, no, I, I get that part, but so, I, right. you, you said a bunch of words, and you, you, I asked you a question, and you started citing about 14 different verses, but none of those actually answered a thing of what I asked you. Okay, so you're asking how am I, how am I saying that we're the new sons of God? I'm asking you, yeah, why, why are you making an interpretation that a phrase that we, that we collect, I'll say we the three of us have been very specific in what it means. <laughs> Because to go back and say all of the anti-DCW folk say that the sons of God means God's chosen people. And we're saying, no, 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 no. It means the angels. It means the Elohim. 
But then now in the New Testament, you're saying, oh, that thing that we said only meant angels before now certainly means God's chosen people over here. And to me, that feels, well, that feels wildly inconsistent. Well, that's Heiser said the same things. This is all in Unseen Realm and Reversing Herman. I mean, the entire point of the biblical narrative is that the, the divine council has become corrupt. The, the sons of God that are pictured in the Old Testament, they've been, they, they're losing their place as the church spreads and retakes the nations. And then when Jesus returns, we rule alongside him. And it, when Paul talks about how, you know, don't you know that you will judge angels? He's, he's referring to that time when we are on the divine council. What, was Adam originally supposed <clears throat> to be that? Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I go, right? So so Adam was 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 that first kind of son of God here on earth, and then he lost that that inherited ship, right? So we had the, so the whole Bible, and all from that time until now, is us regaining that back what he had lost. So it right. makes sense that we would we would replace Adam. I I I'm 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 I, I don't I get what you guys are saying. And I don't sure. I don't this what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put myself in the seat or in the perspective of somebody who disagrees with the divine council worldview from the beginning. And so they're saying, No, 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 this means the Sethites, this means the Israelites. Sons of God means people. It just means the holy people, the chosen people. And we're saying, No, 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 no. Every when it says sons of God, it certainly Council against the watchers specifically. Well, that's, to, be, to, so be, to be more specific, it means the watchers. It doesn't mean all angels, so, right? So where is the transition? Is right. Well, so I'm saying. I, so we went from believing that this phrase means means angels, specifically watchers, right? And then I don't think and then, I don't know that it's limited to watchers. I, I do. I, I, I so that we can get into that on a different later. But like every angel didn't fall. Every angel wasn't corrupted. Every single Elohim is not bad, right? Only the ones that took women, only the ones that God numbered, numbered the, uh, the the nations to, right? Like there, we we have a very specific point of view that says there were these certain angels that Enoch calls watchers that had direct human contact that God made like basically his emissaries, but there's other angels. Right. So, so, it, sure. and, and I'm going to be a little. Give me a little bit of latitude here. Gabriel is not a watcher. Michael is not a watcher. Right. I know that. I mean, they they have a different role. They're they they weren't they weren't they they were never discussed in the same terms, right? Well, Michael is called a great the great prince who protects the people of Israel. Um, so he he seems to be among the princes. That are ruling the nations, I mean, who are called I, watchers. I guess maybe, but isn't there isn't there a couple of verses in, in Revelations that talks about the, the army of angels that comes down with Christ to fight the devil? Um, well, the hundred and forty-four thousand yeah, were. Yeah, but those are but those, those are, are angels. No, those are Jews. Those are. No. The hundred and forty-four thousand. Those are those are Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, then those aren't the ones I'm talking about then. Fair, fair, not, well played though. Well, but 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 it talks about angels coming at some point. I, I I'm not yeah. I'm not super that, revelations like read, but I know 
know for a fact it talks about angels in Revelations, unless you're going to tell me all of those Jehovah's Witnesses have become deified between now and then. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, Jesus does talk about when he comes in his Father's glory with the angels. Right. But to, to, your, to your question about the, the sons of God, biblically speaking, a son of God is any direct creation by God. Um, Adam was called son of God. In in Luke's in uh, Luke's genealogy. Okay, so so basically, what so this is this is fine. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a point. We've got a disconnect from the language changing from Old to New Testament, then, because Adam was never called a son of God in the Old Testament. Every time in the Old Testament, son of God means angel. Um. I mean, I'm saying that as a statement with a question mark at the end of it. I'm happy that there, if there's a version, if there's a verse somewhere where it's used, but I don't believe there is. Uh, I, there might be. I'm looking that up right now. Sure. But but, but, but to, on back on the revelations thing. So there's the seven angels and the seven seals and the seven plagues as an example, right? But my point is simply, angels continue to exist at end time. All angels weren't corrupt and falling. So I I, 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 there's there's something that I'm disconnecting with you there on. Okay, well, it's and maybe we all need to go do some research if, and come back and, if we, and revisit this because well, this, this. if we look at the entire sweep of the Bible, every time the term "son of God" is used, it's it's it isn't it isn't limited to the watchers. It's talking about any direct creation of God, which includes Adam. Humans in general are not called sons of God, but we're sons of Adam, but we're, we're not. Sons Right. We're, right. We're, we're, we're not directly created by God until we are regenerated in the Spirit. Um, in John's Gospel, it reads, uh, um, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's what it means to be born again. Right, but that's children of God, which is different than sons of God. It's not. It's just, it, it, dude, it's, like the words matter that much in 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 the usage. Like I, I mean, that's that's the way I see it. And and, and Brian, you do this thing that you, you I, I made a point of a disagreement, and then you basically like I hear your point, and then you said your statement again and made it sound like that's the rule because you went back and said every time sons of God is said, it means this. I'm saying until you can find a verse in the Old Testament, every time sons of, son of God is used, it's referring to an angel. Somebody, somebody find a verse where it's not, because I don't think it exists. The okay. Old, so, so all of a sudden, Paul pops up and starts calling people son of God means something different. Uh, we're about to get to a whole different conversation. So what's the difference between a child of God and a son of God? It's, it's words. I don't know. I'm not a freaking linguistics major or a PhD in, in languageology, but I'm telling you there's a difference. What's the difference between daughters of man and son of man? Gender. Except son of man means Christ. Son of man prior to Daniel just meant a human being. Right, and then all of a sudden one day it means something totally different. But there's a reason for it. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with your reason, but I'm telling you there's a difference whenever I quote, if I was to quote a verse that said son of man and daughter of man, the difference is not gender. So I think that the challenge is to 
to define that reason and when it changed and why so that, you know, the critics of the DCW can. That's all I'm trying to do is I, I'm just trying to look at this thing from a step back. We don't right? believe just saying like, you know, the, the guy has an argument and we, it sounds like we don't have an answer. I, or you have an answer. I have an answer. He's, he's got, he's got, like you have a Metatron answer. You're telling me because you know so because you've read stuff. Well, I I mean, I don't I don't know how to persuade you other than pointing out what the Bible says. And that's what that's that's how it's used throughout the Bible. Every time you find son of God in the Bible, it means that's how it's if it's in the Old Testament. Okay, do you think that that Luke didn't understand the 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 Old Testament? I 100 percent would assume that he understood. Okay, so when he called Adam a son of God. He wasn't calling him an angel. Unless he is now. Why would Adam be an I, angel now? I don't freaking know. Maybe he's the first of the 144,000. The 144,000 are not are not angels. You just said, literally, the reason I asked you this question is because you said at the end of your first phrasing of the answer to, to Dre's question was that humans, uh, Christians, those that are saved, God's people, are going to become supernatural beings. And I said, do you mean Elohim? And you're like, well, I don't know if I mean Elohim, but I mean supernatural beings. And I said, well, what's the well, difference? Because Elohim means not human, means supernatural being, well, which is a, the same thing Elohim, as angel. And Elohim is basically a spirit. Yeah. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was not, he, was, he had a spiritual body, but it was still a, it was a physical body. What I don't mean spirit, we have this this Gnostic dualism that we bring to the Bible that's not native to it, where we read things like a spiritual body. We think non-physical. It's a we we're Jesus. Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Correct. That his resurrection is the is the proof and promise of our resurrection. Correct. He was a supernatural being when he rose from the dead. He wasn't. He wasn't bound by the normal constraints of mortality. As evidenced in rising from the dead bodily. Right. And he could also appear in in a locked room without going through the door, um, which to me implies that he was... Teleporting. Well, I wouldn't say he was teleporting necessarily, but I... I, Again, this is speculative. I mean... It doesn't doesn't say. Either that or he's a ninja. Well... (laughs) I mean... It's teleporting, dude. That's what extra dimensional is. You just don't like the word because it sounds comic booky, and I used it to be flip on purpose, but that's what he did. What? It's, I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm not it's, being I'm not being like like irreverent to to Christ and his. Imagine 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 uh, living in, as a three dimensional person inter- interacting with a two dimensional world. You can, you know, you can put your finger in at one point in the two-dimensional world and then pull it out and put it in somewhere else. To them, it looks like you're, you teleported, but you just, you're operating in three dimensions rather than two. That's what I think was happening. It's, it's, it's was, splitting hairs, dude. I mean, it's teleporting. Teleporting is, is being in two places instantaneously and then moving. It's, it, you're the dude in the AHA music video. Okay. Trying to get out of the book. <laughs> I, I don't agree with that, but it's not you're, it's not worth arguing with you about. You're gumpy and pokey. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I mean, it's it, it. I mean, it's the same thing. But like, I. I, I, I so, okay. So are you saying? So are you saying that that we are but, not going to be spiritual creatures as well as have a body? What, what we is, will have a we will have a spiritual body, which means the. The spiritual aspect is the dominant aspect. Like we're bodies now, okay. and we have we have spirits, but we're not. But we're we're still fleshly. I we'll swear, have, I've heard you say the concept of a spirit is not biblical. I didn't say that. Um, you said something. The very idea similar. of a disembodied spirit, humans as a disembodied spirit going off to some other place in the after. Like a ghostly. That's, right. That's not biblical. That you find that all throughout okay. Greco-Roman mythology and in Gnosticism. Um, I thought I remember but, you saying something about the concept of the spirit in general. That there's no real biblical subtext for it or text. That, wait, not not me. Some other pagan uh, I've been talking to. But it's uh, <laughs> some other pagan who insists on <laughs> excluding paganism from the Bible and sticking with what the Bible teaches. But. Uh, no, the idea that a the idea of a spirit being like a life force that leaves the body and and survive and survive and where you retain your individual consciousness after your body dies, that's not really in the Bible. There's, that's literally what I just said. No, it's not. There's distinctions. I mean, you have you have a spirit. You are a spirit. But the idea of a spirit, a disembodied spirit. That's not that's not biblical. Now there's this one passage where. Um, so where do you go in the meantime when we receive our bodies again? Lights out. Well, let me let me ask it. Let me. The question of where you go presupposes certain things about the spirit, and those that's those things that you're presupposing that I'm saying are not biblical. Let me. How much does a spirit weigh? How I much, don't care. How much does a woodchuck well, chuck? How, how much? How, <laughs> right. how big is it? I I don't care. Well, you're asking about its location apart from the body. Oh, in order to have location, to your, what happens to your? You're saying that you don't become a disembodied spirit. Cool, and I can buy that. Okay. So what happens? Do do you just? You just what? You're are you gonna be are the same person? Are you gonna have the same consciousness when you do receive your body? Yeah. Forever and ever, amen. Yeah, you're gonna be raised. But this I this idea of the spirit leaving the body and going somewhere in the meantime, for a spirit to have location, that that presupposes it has it exists within space. To oh, exist within okay. space, hang on, hang on, it has to have time mass. Out. Uh, time out, time out, time out. So it has time to like, stay no. with the dead corpse? No, everybody stop. Uh, point of order, <laughs> point of order. So, Brian, you just, I can roll the tape back, five minutes ago, made a big production about two dimension versus three dimension and a finger here and a finger there and teleport and you occupy multiple places. And now you're going to try to invoke metaphysical science and talk about the requirement of mass to exist in order to occupy space to live somewhere. You can't have it both yeah, ways, dude. Either either, either these things ways? exist on multiple realms of reality at once, 
and the laws Which of science okay. the laws of science don't exist or they do like you, we can't do both in the same conversation okay. one at a time one at a time what matt what is the contradiction here you were talking about when we made the joke about jesus teleporting Right, Jesus, who was who had been raised bodily from the dead. Right. We're talking about what he did in the body. Right, and he had this supernatural physical body. Right. And that he can exist in multiple places because he's in multiple dimensions because he's on a level higher than us. And then now right. you're going to say, but when it comes to a human dying and their spirit existing or not existing, you're invoking like astrophysics and the fact of weight has to exist and matter has to exist and law of conservation and all this other stuff. Like, well, you're, either, you're adding a lot there that I didn't say, but I mean, I'm inferring exactly what you were just saying that weight and mass and volume and all of these things are relevant, but they weren't relevant for Jesus to teleport because he rose from the dead. He built his body, he rose bodily from the grave. Right. We're talking about, we're talking about being raised bodily from the dead on the one hand, and on the other, what it would be like to be a disembodied spirit if, if, if that even happened. Right, but my point is, is you're 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 using like real science to disprove the concept of a of a, a disembodied spirit, and that to me, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that this is a nonsensical argument to me, because why? Why? we're either why would... talking about something that exists or doesn't, and science is irrelevant because we're talking about magic. To go, this is a throwback to our pre, our early early conversation okay. today. I'm not trying to be flip and say it's not real, but. Okay, but if we're talking about a spirit, that just theoretically speaking, let's say this, let's say we do have, we we do right. exist as disembodied for the, spirits. For the sake of an argument, spirits don't exist in the mortal plane; they exist in the Elohim plane. They're not they're not of this earth; they're not terrestrial. So none of our okay. laws of science apply to it if it were to exist. Is what I'm trying so, to say. The, my point is, it's not a it's not a physical thing that has physical properties right. like mass and right. weight. So it doesn't sure. have location within space. I don't know. Right? I, don't, I just don't understand why you're using those words. You're using science words for, for a thing that's not science. Okay. Dre asked where so our spirit is when we're does dead. Does it exist when you're dead? I would say no. But if it did exist, so to ask just questions. So it's just waiting? It's in shield? Like, what, what, what is this? There's been people that have been dead for 12,000 years. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone? They're not going to be raised? They're going to be raised. Dre, Dre, Dre's asking a very simple but, question that you're overcomplicating. So let me ask what I'm not overcomplicating. You absolutely are overcomplicating. I'm explaining why the assumptions behind that question don't apply. And so the question so what's, is... Okay, fine. What's the answer? <sighs> There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that the, that the spirit survive that the individual personality survives the death of the body. That's why resurrection is the promise. That's why that's good news. Because if, okay. if Christ has not been raised, then the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then our faith is futile. We're we're still in our sins. Our there's okay. no point to the Christian faith. Paul didn't say if Christ has not been raised and there's no resurrection then at least we have that afterlife in heaven to look forward to as disembodied spirits. No, it's resurrection or nothing, according to Paul and according to presumably all of the early church. <clears throat> um, 
but your question about where the spirit is when it's the body is dead. That's not what he asked. Isn't that what you were asking? No, right? he's asking a very simple question. If the if there's no such thing as a disembodied spirit, so the traditional mainstream garden variety Christian thinks you die the second you take your last breath, you pop out of your body and you magically hit an escalator and you go up and hang out with Bill and Ted and you play music, right? That's what the average. True. So and we and we agree that that's not accurate. Dre's simply asking. When an individual dies, what do you think happens to that individual in actuality in the period in between the moment of their death and the instant of Christ's return? That's his question. What does that mean? What does that mean? What was it like before you were born? So, so, so that's, that's the question, by the way. That's, that's as simple as the question was. So, like, damn. Well, okay. But what Dre asked was, where does the spirit go? Is that not what you asked? And your answer could have been, then you don't. You're gone. Okay. Lots of people who ask that question don't accept that answer because they want to know where the spirit is. Okay, but during that time. A, A, I'm not those people. B, we are not those people. But they might be listening. But 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 you're you're giving. You're giving, you're anticipating questions from people who would ask such a thing. If your answer is they're gone, and perhaps, perhaps I might follow up with you to elaborate on that, but that would be the extent of that. So you're gone until you're resurrected. That's the answer. Yeah. And that then, is the answer. So you just reboot back to. So, so you're resurrected and everything is back. You have all your memories and all of your stuff and things, and you're in your prime, or you're at when the you, point of your death. When you die, or... when you die, like the lights go out, you sure. your your consciousness stops. The your very next conscious experience is going to be resurrection from the dead. I, I tend to agree with that. That's exactly how I see okay. it. Also. Okay. It's, it's almost like you you nodded off for a second and then you woke up and you're like, whoa. It's just like when you go to sleep and you go, you fall into a deep so, sleep and then you wake up the next morning. So, so, so those so, guys went and looking for the Titanic. They didn't implode and then wake up and blink and like, oh, hey, Jack, what's up? Um, <laughs> they don't know they're dead. They're, uh, they say, you know, they're, they're courtside to Kobe. Gianna's one of them. I love that. Dude. <laughs> for, for, for reference, Brian, Kobe's dead. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, I know. okay. I just want to make sure you were you yeah. caught that. You caught the <laughs> for point the kids of that. at home. I don't follow shitty hoops or sports ball. 